back, back, back again. This is Who's This Podcast For? I'm your host, Nate. Um, interesting week. Went to the movie theater twice last week. Probably won't go this weekend. I don't think much is out that I'm quite interested in. Um, seem to be saying that more and more. But I did go to the theater twice last week. And yesterday I rewatched Boogie Nights for, um, and no plug, but for the Rewatchables podcast on, on the Ringer Podcast Network. Bill Simmons and Chris Ryan and Sean Finnessy, shout out to them. Watch a lot of their stuff, especially the rewatchables, and they did Boogie Nights finally in a massive two-parter podcast. It was like four hours long, so I felt like I need to rewatch it. It had been a few years since I've seen it, and so I've seen that. Also been really digging into some old-school wrestling. Um, was watching a Jay Youngblood, Ricky Steamboat versus Jack and Jerry Briscoe match from like 1981 in Mid-Atlantic wrestling um and then i just went down the whole rabbit hole of ricky steamboat ending with his feud with um jake roberts in like 89 or 90 somewhere around there when um he ddt ricky steamboat on the concrete and knocked him out for real and then you know put him back in the ring put the snake on him great angle and they had a hot feud and Man, it was so different back then. I just go into these rabbit holes of wrestling, and it used to be great because I'm watching modern wrestling, and it's nothing close to it, and I mean nothing close. But we'll get into some more of that. Might read some Mike Mondo tweets. Um, I might. I, I I wish I could like. I don't even know. I don't even know. But we'll get to all that first. I'm gonna review some movies. So they re-released Avatar because Avatar Two is coming out soon. I believe in like December, December 16th, Avatar The Way of the Water. And the first one came out in 2009 in December as well. And it made $2.878 billion at the box office. Uh, budget was $237 million in 2009 at least. And you know about Avatar, but I'll read you a quick synopsis. On the lush alien world of Pandora live the Navi, beings who appear primitive but are highly evolved. Because the planet's environment is poisonous, human-Navi hybrids called avatars must link to human minds to allow for free movement on Pandora. Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, a paralyzed former Marine, becomes mobile again through one such avatar and falls in love with the Navi woman, Zoe Saldana. As a bond with her grows, he is drawn into battle for the survival of her world. We all know Avatar. I had never seen it before. Honestly, wasn't too highly on it. I didn't think that I would like it, so I just never watched it. And I want to see it because it was back in theaters. First time in, in 2009, I wasn't an avid movie watcher like that. So I would have never seeked it out anyway. Uh, I don't even know what I was watching in 2009, to be honest with you. But um, went to see it in IMAX on the biggest screen possible. Got the food and everything. We ordered food and, you know, we made a whole thing out of it. The movie's long. It's like two hours and 40 minutes, I think. Hold on, let me see. Uh, 241 yeah and i really enjoyed this movie and it has me even more excited for the second one than i was and they showed a little bit of the second one at the end of this movie as like a thank you for coming back out to see this if this was your second or third or whatever time i'm all a fan about putting the movies back into the theaters that are older we talked about jaws on here and you know i can't wait for all the other releases to you know as the years pass by, you get more and more of these, um, what you call them, re-releases of older movies and classics too. 
And I love that because I want to see the movie for the first time on, in the theater if I can. Like if it, you know, if you just can't, then do what you got to do. But if I can see it in a theater, I'm going to see it first. And so that's how I feel about Avatar, Godfather, Jaws, Citizen Kane, all movies I've seen in the theater um, before I watched it at home. So, And it's it's made the experience wonderful. This movie's long, and I think personally it starts off kind of slow. I think the first act is a little slow, at least for me. But then once it gets going, and it gets going quick, the movie rides. It's fun. It's big. The score is amazing. I'll, I always wonder why James Cameron spent most of his late life or late career life only making these movies and nothing else why are you spending so much time on this so when you you made aliens you made the abyss you know you made all of these movies and made what terminator was it terminator 2 i don't want to get that wrong that'd be crazy not like that's ridley scott right no james cameron made terminator 2 yeah how, how could i forget that you made all these movies and then for a long time, you just you just go and make Avatar. And it takes up all your time. I couldn't understand it. He made the first one too. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's legend. I'm going to just look up his whole thing while I'm here. Let's just see what all he's made. Okay. This is James Cameron. He's 80. He's 68 years old. Sorry. From Kupaskasing, Canada. James Francis Cameron, he made Avatar, going to make Avatar The Way of the Water, he made Titanic, made The Terminator, made Terminator 2, made Aliens, he's going to make Avatar 3 in 2024, made The Abyss. They you know, they had Terminator Dark Fate on here, but I know he didn't direct it, you can't give him that one. Um, yeah, just those right there, I could stop right there, and Avatar 5 is coming out in 2028, so he's not done with this series at all, uh, well, maybe by then somebody else will be directing but you do Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, The Abyss, Avatar, and Titanic. And most of your late career has been looking over the Terminator series, I guess. Um, and then making nothing else but Avatar. So I just want him to do more. But he did say after this one and maybe the next one, then 4 and 5 might be made by somebody else. And he's going to go off and make other stuff. I'm like, damn, uh, James, you should have been doing that. But this movie, back to this movie. I thought the performances were really good. Sam Worthington, I have not seen him in much. I don't think he had much of a career after this in terms of, like, big stuff. Early stuff that I would watch. I, I'll always preface it with that because I, I could be in a bubble. Um, try not to be. I try to do my due diligence. But, you know, we all have blind spots. But I haven't seen him in anything else. So, I don't know. Um, and Zoe Saldana obviously has a big career and She's been around a long time. Um, she's great in this movie. Her character, and I want to get her character's name right. I just had this pulled up. Because I want to make sure. Um, Natiri. Her character was great. Very expressive. I didn't know that Laz Alonzo was Sute. He's one of my favorite characters as well. So Granny Riru was really good. Like I said, Sam Worthington was really good. Giovanni Rabisi. Michelle Rodriguez was good as Trudy. Joe David Moore, I've seen him in a lot. Ed Tukan was West Two Studi. Um, Stephen Lang as the Colonel Cor Cor Corrich, wherever you say his name, he was you know he he, he was rough. Uh, really good cast, really strong visuals, and 
just the scope and how epic it was and how big it was, oh, especially on that screen. I'm sure it looked like that then. And this was IMAX 3D. You had to do the 3D. They gave you the glass at the door. Everything's coming out. The 3D was weird because I just haven't been in a 3D in a long time, very long time. And, um, you know, I didn't, you know, it, it was just, it was a bit different. You just had to temper yourself. And it was almost starting to give me a headache towards the end, but I powered through. But that was also something, stuff reaching out at you. And I thought the filmmaking was good. Um, You know, I thought it was good. A lot of um interesting shots. Um, Nothing too cinematic or crazy in terms of the camera movements or anything like that, but it did it did well enough. Um, like I said, the first like third or maybe first fourth or fifth is slow, but once the movie gets going, it really gets going, and I think it doesn't let up to the very end. And the final fight is great; it's really epic, really strong. Um, I really like this movie a lot. Standout was also Donna, like I said. Um, but yeah, I see why this movie had the craze it did. I had only heard like middling things like, eh, it's all right, but it seems to be getting a resurgence. I guess once you've seen so many blockbusters that are poor, you'll take this one. Um, and it grows in merit when you compare it to a lot of stuff that's come out in the last 10 years or so. So Avatar, I'm a fan and I can't wait to see, uh, Avatar Way to Water. That preview was beautiful. It looks amazing. It looks better than the first one and the first one looked great. So, man, I think this movie, Avatar Way to Water, has real Oscar potential. Um, I'm probably going to do a little Oscar. I don't know. I don't want to do that until it gets close. It's way too early. Don't talk about them damn awards. Like, it's September. I, I don't care. You know, I'll watch I'll, I'll watch the Oscar Expert YouTube channel do it and stuff like that. But, yeah, Avatar Way to Water, uh, I mean, Avatar 1, I, I give it a thumbs up. Uh, I liked a lot about it. Let's go to a movie that was the opposite. Now, so Avatar started out kind of slow and kind of petered off. Well, this movie started out pretty good and almost got to the end without it being, without it flopping right on its face, and it did. I also saw this last weekend, Don't Worry, Darling. If you're in the movies, you've been hearing about this one, I'm sure. I'll read it. In the 1950s, Alice and Jack live in the idealized community of Victory, an experimental company town that houses the men who work on a top-secret project. While the husbands toil away, the wives get to enjoy the beauty, luxury, and debauchery of their seemingly seemingly perfect paradise. However, when cracks in her idyllic life begin to appear, exposing flashes of something sinister lurking below the surface, Alice can't help but question exactly what she's doing in victory. This stars Florence Pugh as Alice, Harry Styles as Jack, Olivia Wilde as the director, and she's a character named Bunny, Chris, P- Chris Pine as Frank, Gemma Chan's in this, Kiki Lane is in this. Nick Kroll. The Dakota Johnson. Was she in this? I don't think she was in this. Um, really good cast. And like I said, this movie, first of all, we'll mention briefly about all the stuff leading up to this movie. It had a post-production promo run of Hell. Uh, one of the more juicier and um, hellish promo runs for a movie that we can remember in a while where the director and the and the main star were predicting to not... It was said that they were not talking to each other. And one of the castmates seemingly spits on the other one. But people saying it didn't happen. But it's a video. But it doesn't look like it. So that's the whole thing. One of the castmates doesn't come to the premiere. Because she's shooting another movie. But it's also uh, been speci- or speculated that she didn't come. Because she didn't want to be there for this movie. The main director and one of the actors on the movie... Um, 
I think cheats with her on her husband with the main guy in the movie, Harry Styles, and leading to her divorce from her husband. He serves her papers at Comic Con or Cinema Con or whatever it was. So this whole movie has had a run, and Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be in it, but he got fired, and Olivia Wilde because she, she didn't want his energy on her set. But then it comes out that he puts a video and text out of her begging him to stay. So this whole thing was a mess, and it was fun to watch. And then you finally get to the movie, and the movie works for two-thirds of the way, where I'm actually like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, I know what they're going for. You're obviously talking about this, this is a feminist movie about women not wanting to be in the home anymore, all the, yada, 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 whatever. And But it's going well in terms of a movie. I think it has really good visuals and, you know, um, a lot of the acting is good. A lot of people say Harry Styles can't act. He wasn't good in this movie. He was very good. Pew was very good. I thought Chris Pine was really good. Olivia Wilde was a standout as well. But Harry Styles was really good, and I think people just don't like him, and so they went at him. I really believe that's it because you can't tell me he was any less than anybody else in this movie except maybe Pew and Chris Pine. Everybody else was on the same level in terms of acting. I thought he did fine. You know, he did well. He did good. What, whatever you want to say of like uh, slightly above average, he was that. He was he was okay. He was good. But people are like, he's awful. And I'm like, no, you just don't like him. Just say that. But anyway, so we get to the end, and I'm not going to spoil it because there is a twist, and it completely undercuts the movie. It becomes messy. It becomes sloppy. Too many, like, too many thoughts, too many ideas. And I usually hate that, but, like, a movie can't have too many thoughts. But they can if you don't know how to wrap them up. And that doesn't mean, like, you wrap them up and I just didn't like what you did, so I'm saying it was bad. No, I mean, like, you didn't wrap them up. Like, a lot of this stuff, it didn't make sense. And I usually don't even care about plotting and story and, oh, the twist. But when it's this central to the movie and it doesn't make this much sense, it kind of undercuts everything that you saw before, which I thought was a decent little movie before. Like, two-thirds of this movie from the beginning to about 30 minutes left, 30, 40 minutes left, it works. And I was really into it, and I didn't have any problems. Then it's like a hot air balloon deflating when you start to realize what's happening. And I'm just like, okay, it's it goofy. It goofed on itself to take something from. Let me explain YouTube page. Shout out to them. It goofed. And that's really it. Like I said, I liked a lot of performances. Pew was really good as always. Harry Styles was good. Chris Pine was really good. Olivia Wilde stood out in terms of her acting. And her directing wasn't bad. I thought I liked a lot of the editing choices in this. I liked a lot of the cuts and the images that were being uh, sequenced in terms of like what's coming right before another image and what's coming right after. I liked a lot of it, but it's just the, the movie itself goofed by the end. And they do have a nice little chase scene at the end too. I, I like, okay, I like this too, but it's in the midst of all of this goofiness that you can't take seriously. And then some things are revealed that then kind of undercuts parts that were early in the movie. And you could have played so much with a lot of this, but she was trying to make, what she what Olivia Wilde tried to do was make a movie, a modern movie, about sensibilities of something that happened seventy plus years ago, and then kind of um, or ideologies and sensibilities of seventy plus years ago to critique that, but then also bring it to a modern sensibility and say these two are the same things, without having any without giving any context to a certain group, or taking into taking everything into totality when you're making these kind of broad judgments. And then who she said she based her main villain on, I can tell she didn't read into him because she would know that that's not his ideals at all. But that's what a feminist thinks that somebody like 
I'm not going to mention him because it, it doesn't matter. But that's what a feminist thinks that somebody like him would um, be preaching. Or she says, like, who he's preaching to. They all feel that way. You just you, you couldn't do your research. You couldn't have done it because you would know that that's the opposite of what he says. Or that's not even what his ideals are. But that's what you think they are because you're looking at it through a feminist lens. And everything from a feminist lens will always be skewed and probably not accurate and lack any type of uh, truth or accountability. But anyway, the movie Goof by the end, I would still say go see it. It's only two hours and like two minutes. It's good until like the last 30. And that's my opinion. You might feel differently. And go see it anyway because I do think it has a lot to offer, especially in the image making. I thought it looked really good. looked really clear. Really nice images, really beautiful cinematography and lighting. But like I said, it, it falls apart. And that's all you can get from a feminist director, feminist writer, trying to make a feminist manifesto. That's what you're going to get. Much like, um, who's that girl? Not Reese with a spoon. Uh, so she, she made the Charlie's Angel movies in 2019. She came out today and said she wished her movie wasn't a promo is just for um girls when she's literally the reason that that's why that movie would promote that way because she said this movie is for girls so um elizabeth banks so yeah she's just silly 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 girl uh she said elizabeth banks regrets charlie's angel marketing it wasn't a feminist manifesto just an action movie that's not what you said in 2019 so we know that she said she wish it wasn't marketed just for girls. You marketed just for girls. Don't lie now, but don't worry, darling. Uh, gives it a, a slight thumbs down, but go see it yourself. I promise there are things about it that are decent at best. next movie i saw yesterday we talked about boogie nights i watched this movie back in 2019 at my uh, little apartment in starkville mississippi and i thought it was good but i didn't think it was great i thought it kind of fell apart towards the end and i rewatched it yesterday but i'll give you a quick rundown of what's going on here in the san fernando valley 1977 teenage busboy eddie adams played by mark Wahlberg, gets discovered by porn director jack horner Burt Reynolds, who transforms him into adult film sensation Dirk Diggler, brought into a supportive circle of friends including fellow actors Amber Waves, played by Julianne Moore, Roller Girl, played by Heather Graham, and Reed Rothschild, John C. Riley. Dirk fulfills all his ambitions, but a toxic combination of drugs and egotism threatens to take him back down. It came out in 1997, two hours and 31 minutes long, by Paul Thomas Anderson. We've done a whole Paul Thomas Anderson episode, and I had Boogie Nights far fairly far down and i must say on a rewatch it's better than i remember it's really good is it his best movie no not it's not even close but it's really good and i like a lot of the direction like a lot of the cinematography i like a lot of the lighting i like a lot about this movie i actually love a lot about this movie i would say i love it i'd say now because i did my ranking and if i can remember from the bottom to the top from bottom being worse to to the top being number one i think i had magnolia at the bottom hard eight then boogie nights then i had licorice pizza um slash was it there will be blood i think those two were right there 
Derby Blood might be a little bit higher now. And I love Licorice Pizza. Best movie of last year. But that's how good this guy's filmography is. So Licorice Pizza, then right above it, there will be Blood. Then I think I had uh, either Punch Drunk or Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread or Punch Drunk right there. Maybe neck and neck. Maybe all three of those right there. There will be Blood, Phantom Thread, Punch Drunk. With Punch Drunk maybe being a little bit over both of those. Then I think I did Inherent Vice because I know that that might be controversial, but Inherent Vice is number two. And then um, The Master, I think, is the best movie. He's made one of the best movies of the century. Now, I honestly think I put There Will Be Blood right there with Licorice Pizza. Um, I like Licorice Pizza more, but those movies are, are kindred uh, siblings, I think. I think they very much hold hands. And I I like how both of them look. I do just love how gritty and old uh, Boogie Nights looks, but Licorice Pizza is great. And I do think it does some things better. Um, but it's close now. It's closer than I thought. So... Again, from we'll, we'll go from the top down to some. The Master, Inherent Vice, um, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood. I'm not sure about those two, but I'll put those right there for now. Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, um, Licorice Pizza, Boogie Nights, um, Magnolia. I mean, Heart Eight and Magnolia. And I do need to watch Magnolia again. I might like it more. Um, but I always say post, after the 2000s or after Magnolia and before Magnolia, that's PTA. So Punch Drunk Love and Up and then his first three movies. All of his stuff after is better. He gets better and better each movie, culminating with Licorice Pizza. I don't mean every movie is better as in chronological order, but I just think he's better as a filmmaker as he goes along. And 2002 is the starter that will punch drunk. Then he does 2007 where there will be blood. And then he does The Master in 2012, I believe. And then he does a hair and vice in 2014. And now he's, and then he did Licorice Pizza. So that's Punch Drunk, Blood, There Will Be Blood, The Master, and Hair and Vice, Liquor Pizza. And then before 2002, you have Hard Eight, his first movie, Boogie Nights, and uh, Magnolia. So eight movies in total. And, um, We'll just go, we'll just stay on, um, we'll just stay on this movie right now. Boogie Nights, um, standouts in terms of acting. I thought Roller Girl was a standout. Played by, gosh, how could I forget her name? Where'd you go through the cast? Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, Don Cheeto, John C. Riley, Heather Graham played Roller Girl. Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Louise Guzman, Nicole Eric Parker, Nina Hartley, Robert Ridgely. Thomas Jane, Laura Walters, Michael Penn, Philip Baker Hall, Robert Downey Sr., Alfred Molina, Ricky J., Joanna Gleason, Lil Cinderella, John Doe, Rico Bueno, Brad Braden, Michael Stein, Dee Dee Weathers, Jamie Lynn Lippman, uh, on and on and on. Uh, standout for me was Julianne Moore, obviously she's great. And this kind of takes her, it puts a rocket on her back in terms of her career. Roller Girls are standout, Little Bill's a standout. Scotty J by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, he was good in everything. I mean, he's good in everything. Rest in peace. But he was really good in everything around this time. Burt Reynolds was great. Louise Guzman. Don Cheeto was really good. Nicole Ray Parker was a standout. And I forgot she was in this movie from the first time I watched it. Um, the elephant in the room to me is Mark Wahlberg. Because I don't think he's that 
striking in this movie. I actually think he pulls it down a little bit um, in terms of his acting. So a few scenes where he's yelling and I just don't believe it. He's never been that good of an actor to me, at least not great. He's good. And he gets better as he gets older. Um, he's really good in The Departed. Um, he's doing a lot of restrained stuff there that I think works. But when he's screaming like this, I I don't know. And I'm hearing people on the rewatchables, like I talked about earlier, and you know, they're saying he's great in this movie, and I don't see it. I think it's good, especially as the movie goes on. He gets more comfortable. The beginning, I don't know. Um, well, it's only that one scene in the beginning, and then it's it's his fight with Jack by the poolside. Um, I just like, Ugh, I don't I don't know about this. He's doing a lot, and I don't think it's connecting well with me. Um, although it's one of PTA's lower movies, I really do like it a lot i like a, like i said i like a lot about it it's interesting been hearing the history of this movie and how it came about and how like high this script was at the time in terms of like how many people like wanted to be in this movie and really wanted to read the script and they said it was like a super great thing and had a lot of notoriety behind it before the movie got made long movie i don't i don't think it drags too much in any part i do think it's a little section towards the end that kind of gets a little slow but um, great scene construction, knowing when to get out, when to get in, and how long to stay in them. I'm really interested in all of that kind of stuff. And PTA is just so good, great a director. You could tell here he got a lot of the seeds for what's to come, but it wasn't quite there yet. Um, but it was coming, you could tell. And he does a lot. He does. Uh, I think it has about three or four tracking shots in this, and they're all great. You could tell he loves Scorsese and all, man. Uh, Goodfellas, obviously. This feels like Goodfellas for this side of the country. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like this on the rewatch. Really, it went up a lot in my estimation to where, like, I'm like, yeah, no, nah, that's a that's a really good movie. Before, I like, it's good, but you know, it's not one of his better ones. Now, I'm like, yeah, it's really good. I like it a lot. Is it better than anything post um, post Magnolia? No, all five of those are classics. But it is the best movie of his 1990 stuff. And I thought that before this rewatch. Now I think it's kind of solidified that this is his best work from that time. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, yeah, Boogie Nights. It's on Netflix right now. You can go watch it. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I got on that. Um, a movie dropped today at the time of recording. This is a Wednesday. Uh, called Blonde by Andrew Dominic. This is going to Netflix, and Andrew Dominic has made the Coward of Jesse James, the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Um, he's made Killing Them Softly. Very uh, acclaimed director back in the day. Well, not back in the day, in the mid two thousands, and he was supposed to be next up. Uh, didn't happen as much. He directed some episodes of Mindhunter. And he has a movie by Marilyn Monroe called Blonde, um, which has just dropped to Netflix, and it's getting canned. A lot of people do not like it, and they do not like what he has to say um, about Marilyn Monroe and her life and maybe her depiction. Um, they're kind of canning this movie. At the time of talking to you all it's 50 percent on rotten tomato 52 percent on metacritic a 6.3 out of 10 on imdb and it's not looking good in terms of 
people's reception. I don't care because honestly, I don't care about Marilyn Monroe. You know, I wish she lived a long and prosperous life. In terms of movies, I don't ever see myself really going crazy to watch one except like something like it hot. But that's not for her. That's for Billy Wilder. So I can go into the movie with no bias. I am interested in Andrew Dominic. I do want to see his past movies. I've heard a lot about him and how good of a director he was. And he, he was supposed to be next up. And it kind of just hasn't happened since. And it's interesting. I did hear a clip of him on a on the Real Blend podcast right before this podcast started. And he and they asked him like, "What was his relationship with Marilyn Monroe in terms of what he thought about her as a performance?" Stuff. He said he didn't have one. Um, he didn't think she was that good before he read the book. So, and you start off with that. It's like, damn, why'd you make this movie? Then? But I'm I'm not mad at you because I think that's the best way to come at a movie is from somebody who maybe not who wasn't the biggest fan. So you're not gonna gloss over anything. And you can show it for what it was, straight up and down, because you don't have a bias either way. Now, you can't hate a person and make a movie about them, because then you might not show the good stuff. But you can't love a person either, I don't think, unless you're going to... You kind of got to be down the middle on a biopic. You got to show all of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he did. That's why the movie uh, took so long to come out, because he wanted the NC-17 rating, and Netflix didn't want to do that. They wanted him to cut out some very graphic, I guess, sex scenes or sexual abuse scenes, rather. Um, and I guess he fought for him and, and now he's on the promo circuit and it's not going well in terms of people receiving this movie. A lot of people do not like this movie and it's making me more excited to see it. So that's one you probably will be getting a review for that. I would have liked to seen it in theater, but it's not going to go to a lot of theaters because it's NC-17. A lot of theaters aren't going to run that, sadly. Um, but it is on Netflix now. So it's called Blonde. It's about Marilyn Monroe by director Andrew Dominic trying to get it some promo so people can go see it i'm gonna see it soon maybe today maybe tomorrow maybe this weekend who knows but hopefully next week i got that review for y'all because i do think that's hella interesting right now my brother just texted me like bro what do you think about this blonde thing people going hard on dominic in the movie and i'm gonna hit him back after this because I'm, I'm you know i'm finding that very interesting you know a lot of people say they want to be challenged in movies but they don't they want to watch the same thing over and over. And they complain that movies are the same thing over and over, but that's what they like. So, uh, yeah, you can't listen to a lot of people. They they say what they want, but it's really not meant to be taken seriously. A lot of these people fake it. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Okay. I'm going to pull up some Mike Mondo tweets real quick before we get out of here. I don't have much else. Um, I can go to a letterbox, but I don't want to. Um, yeah. I just want to review the flicks and talk a little bit about wrestling, but that's about it. So Mike Mondo, if you remember, he's been a wrestler before. He tweets out a lot. He's followed by John Cena. I see this actually. That's big for him. He tweets a lot about wrestling, what it should be, and he gives advice to younger guys in the business. So I like to read some of these. I'll read a few of these. Like this one is interesting. Uh, I love how his mind works. In a tag match, if you do a false tag correctly, 99% of the time, you should be taken at home right after. That's the highest you're going to get to people. Continuing the heat will bring the people back down, and your heart tag may not be as hot. That's just really strong advice from somebody who's in the know. Somebody said, by be taken at home right after, do you mean get to the hot tag? the comeback, and then the finish ASAP after that false tag. 
And he said, get to the comeback, make the hot tag. So he answered the guy. He answers too. He really engages with his audience. I think that makes him very good. Uh, wrestling company should pick up him quickly. Um, he said, I don't understand why a move such as a Canadian destroyer used as a transition move. The move is like a super power driver. Any move where you dumped on your head like that should be a finish. When it's not, you kill the move and you're no longer suspending my disbelief. This is all I'll be talking about with wrestling. Suspension of disbelief. Things shouldn't make sense logically. If somebody drops you on your head in real life that way, if you don't know what a Canadian destroyer is, it's where a guy flips over a guy and then drops him right on his head, basically, in a power driver-like fashion. So you take a regular power driver, but instead he's doing a whole flip before that power driver and then throwing him down on his head. If that move happened in real life, somebody's neck might be broken or they're definitely not just going to jump up and keep wrestling or fighting or whatever out of fear that your neck might be snapped. Because I know whenever somebody dropped on the head, I'd be scared. Even if they're good, like, they're like, no, 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 he's fine. Still be like, lay there for a second. Like, we don't know for certain. But this is a good one. And then somebody said, the bigger problem is it looks fake. The move makes me suspend my disbelief. Um... No, it, it 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 can look fake. I will say that. That is a fake looking move. Um the power driver itself is fine, but that that's a fake looking move. Um uh, let's see. Go to some more. Uh okay, here's another one from at the Mike Mondo on Twitter. The purpose of a baby face shine is to establish slash make your baby face. That doesn't mean hit a bunch of moves. More moves you hit, the more you have to cover. The more the heel kicks out of the, the weaker you look. Just do enough to where you are sufficiently made. That's a great one. And shining means you making your baby like you said, making baby face look good. So at the start of the match. Back in the day, they would shine the baby face. So the heel would be trying uh, a few different things, and the baby face would always overcome them and win in the end. And the heel would roll out or go to the ropes or something instead of laying on his back and getting a pin because too many pins and the match looks weird and the baby face looks weak. But if he rolls out, now he's just regrouping himself. That makes the heel look cowardly and the baby face look strong. That's what you want until the heel gets, you know, you know, until the heel eventually comes back. Here's another one. If a baby face comes to the ring with taped ribs or shoulder, that should be a bullseye on them if you're a heel. You should be going after that the entire match. That's your story. Don't ignore it and just have your typical match. It makes no sense. That makes sense. If somebody has an injury before and you know that or a weak spot, why wouldn't you exploit it in a professional athletic contest where you're trying to win? That just doesn't make sense any other way. So like you said, if you got the ribs, if somebody has their ribs taped up and a babyface comes to the ring, the heel should be like, I'm going towards the ribs the entire match because that will make sense in a real contest. And somebody said, uh, even when the weakness developed during the match, in the women's mat tag match on Dynamite, D worked Athena's leg until Athena couldn't run on it. D tagged in Britt Baker, and Baker seemed to have no clue as to how to keep working the leg, and instead threw some sloppy elbows. See, stuff like that is not good. Because once you uh, initiate and get over the fact that her leg is hurt, you stay on it because she can't even walk on it. So that's where we're going to stay. That's that's the story to match. At least, you know, it used to be what you do. Uh, let's see. We'll do a few more here. 
I love this one, and I think I've read it before, but I'm going to read it again. It's not from Mike Mondo. He retweeted it, but I've seen this three or four times, and I love this. It's from Bobby Heenan, legendary manager, Hall of Fame manager, one of the best managers in wrestling, pro wrestling of all time. He said this, Today's style is different from what it was just a few years ago. I could get in the ring right now with Paul Orndorff, who is retired. Paul Orndorff, the uh, strongman who is retired, and get heat. I would do an interview about what I think of him, and he does one of what he thinks of me. We could stand there in the ring when the bell rings and we look at each other. I back off in the corner and we'd walk around. Finally, we would lock up. Then I'd pull a cheap shot on him and jump out. I'd argue with the fan and tell the referee to check him for a foreign object. I could stall and take time until the people would be so upset that they want to see Orndorff come get me. We could tear the place down today and really get the fans riled. I could do it just pulling his hair and then telling the referee I didn't. This is if the referee didn't see it. Everybody does everything in front of the referee nowadays. All the heat goes on the ref, and with all due respect, no one bought a ticket to see the Earl Hebner's of this world. Everybody pulls hair, hits each other with the chairs, and there are no count-outs or disqualifications for it. But if I snuck something or pulled hair and then the ref asked me if I did that, I shake my head wildly and make my hair go all, go all over for all to see and yell, no, as loud as I could. The place would go nuts for Orndorff and me, and we wouldn't have to go through a single table. That's called working. That's exactly what it is. That that works. Now, somebody said that specific kind of theatrics would not work on anywhere near the same scale as it did during Hina's era. But Bobby's point here is that working is more about doing a lot of things that are low risky on the body rather than the harder bumps that have come in the past 20 years. So this is a silly guy right here. Somebody said that's not really what he was saying. His point was that for great pro wrestlers, it's not about what moves they do. It's about their ability to get over based on their personality and charisma. The majority of modern wrestlers have had charisma bypasses, hence the lack of stars. I don't agree with that either. I think a lot of the reason why uh, modern wrestlers aren't getting over is because, one, they all work the same way, and, two, they don't have, a lot of them don't have charisma. But also, a lot of matches are fake, and it's hard to get over when it looks fake. Even if a lot of people like it, you're still not over. And somebody said they think big contrived moves would get them over instead, and it doesn't. Somebody said, yes, it would if both guys are over. And somebody said, agreed, but nowhere near the same as in Heenan's era where the crowds were red hot for that style of working. Nowadays, even the best can't get that level of heat from those exact tricks, purely due to the audience being far more informed they are but somebody said this it was a de- definitely a simpler time people actually went to enjoy the matches and i try to entertain themselves and not pick the show i mean i have liked chief joe lightfoot versus bob root but i didn't heckle them that's a great point you got too many smart fans or smarts and they think they're part of the show when they're not when they should just be watching the show and trying to be an active member of the audience um just participating in the wrestling event instead of trying to force themselves into the show itself then how can you enjoy it if you're trying to be a part of it enjoy it for what it is take it for what it is stop thinking you know everything that's one of the reasons why wrestling is awful it's, it's part of the audience too we talk a lot about what the wrestlers aren't doing today and they aren't doing a lot right but the audience isn't either and somebody says heinous theory is absolutely spot on in my opinion just this example given here will be considered old hat but i do agree that character work is key and should be the cornerstone of every wrestler who wants to make it to the top. You still don't get it, but okay. Listen, if you're over and the people are invested in everything you do, that's working. In my day, you always had a long heat bill. When a comeback came and they started bumping, you were ready, and it was great. 
That's why I said it's heartbreaking that the art form of working is dying off as more and more of the veterans with the knowledge and experience pass away and we're left with the overly choreographed, unconvincing mess we have today. That's absolutely true. Uh, we'll do one more for Mike and we'll get up out of here. Uh, probably two more. Uh, he says, is if you think you're going to go too slow on the magical, even slower, it's the build up, the anticipation, and the drama that makes the payoff that much bigger and exciting. Think about all the stuff in between that you could be doing. Listen to the audience. Gotta take it slow, man. A lot of wrestlers go way too fast today. It's, it's, it's not a race to the end. Slow it down. Uh, Uh, I think I read this one before, but we'll stop here because I think it's going back a little too far. I don't think he tweets that much or he hasn't recently, but here's here's a good one. In the heat, a baby face should be selling, not doing a bunch of hope spots where you're on your feet and running around. By doing that, you kill the heat. Therefore, there's no sympathy. With no sympathy, there's no comeback. Get your blank in at the right time. Baby faces sell. As a baby face sells, sell, sell. That's what you do. You, you got to make the audience sympathetic and empathetic for you. So they can feel for you. That's what a baby face needs to do. The heel doesn't need empathy. He's the bad guy. Um, do your best to always hit your time cues. If you go over in time, you're taken away from the matches. After you are possibly the main event, this includes entrances, and you want to leave 30 seconds for beauty shot post-match. Be a pro and hit your times. It is called professional wrestling for a reason. Uh, I think I'll end it there. I love at the Mike Mondo stuff. He makes a lot of sense. He's uh he's very in tune with what the wrestling business was and should be. Um Yeah, man. I, I've only glowing things to say about Mike Mondo. And if I had a wrestling promotion, he'd be a trainer or a staffer or an agent or producer, match matchmaker, something for my for my promotion. And I want one one day. And if he's still around by then, I'm gonna give him a call. And that's the at the Mike Mondo on Twitter for all of your wrestling insider uh, do's and don'ts. All right, guys, I think that is it. Kind of a short episode, kind of around our same time, but it feels shorter to me. But that's all I got for y'all today. Um, I hope you're having a good day when you hear this. I hope you have a good rest of your week, and I hope you have a good weekend. And like I said, go see Blonde on Netflix. Go to the theater this weekend if there's something you want to see. I'm going to try to find some stuff myself, hopefully. And if not, try to watch some older stuff at home. You know, let's always be watching stuff. And go back and watch some old school wrestling. The wrestling match of this week, to me, that I recommend to you, it's two of them. And then I'll give you a song because I haven't done that in a long time. And I'll go. It's Jake Roberts versus um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It's more of an angle than a wrestling match, but it works. Uh, Jake Roberts, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat. Um, Saturday night, Saturday night main event. Uh, when Jake DDT's Ricky on the concrete. This is from uh, May third, nineteen eighty six. You can find it on YouTube. That Saturday night's main event: Jake Roberts DDT's Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat on the concrete. And then the other match is Ric Flair versus uh, Terry Gordy. Another one of my matches I've been watching recently that I'm just absolutely into. It's, um, let's see here. 
It's uh, World Class Championship Wrestling, WCCW, uh, January 19, 1985, Nakedo Rick Club vs. Freebird Terry Bird for the NWA Championship in Dallas Auditorium. Just look up Rick Club vs. Freebird Terry Gordy, and you'll see uh, January 19, 1985, NWA Championship. So those are the two matches, uh, two wrestling matches, and then the song, The Speed Racer by Mick Jenkins. Great song. I have it in the screenplay. I've just finished up. So shout out to me for finishing that finally. And this is one of the songs that's in it, and I love it. It's called Speed Racer by Mick Jenkins. You can listen to the entire um You can listen to, to the entire what album is it? Elephant in the Room album by Mick that came out last year. But if you gotta pick one, pick Speed Racer and Scotty Pippen on that album as well. But for the purposes of this conversation, it's Speed Racer by Mick Jenkins. Okay. That's it. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it greatly, and uh, we out. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it again. See you next time. Have a good one. Peace.